This is Faster, a podcast by Flow Cycling. In each episode, we interview industry experts to educate you, challenge you, and even change the way you train so you become faster. When we're not creating this podcast, we're working on other ways to make you faster. At Flow, we design and manufacture some of the world's fastest cycling wheels that we sell consumer direct to keep more money in your pockets. As a special thank you for listening to Faster, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase. Simply use coupon code PODCAST in all capital letters at checkout. Your purchase will also support our Give Back initiatives. 1% of all sales supports our Bike for a Kid program, where we provide bikes and helmets for kids in need. We also plant one tree for every wheel we ship as a thank you to our planet. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to Faster. Uh, This episode, we are going to be answering common wheel questions. We get a lot of questions by email. We get a lot of questions on Facebook, social media, phone call, um, you name it. We get questions. And a lot of times there are some similarities between the questions. So today we're going to cover a number of those different topics. One of the most common questions we get is what are the right wheels for me? If you have that question, I'm going to have you go back and check out our previous episode, the one before this one, which is wheel selection. And that will give you everything you need to know about how to select the right wheels for yourself. So uh, head back there and check that one out. All right, let's start with some wheel terms. And a lot of people have questions about these terms and what they mean. And and, uh, they're good questions because I've been doing this for about 10 years. And at times I still have to you know, educate myself on the newest technologies that are coming out, if it's free hub different types or, or cassette types or, um, you know, just, just so many different things that change in this industry on a, on a frequent basis with people trying to, you know, create new technology. So uh, today I'm going to cover a lot of those things. Let's first start with some of the basics. So let's look at how tires uh, attach to a wheel. Originally, there were clincher and tubular tires. So clinchers um, are tires that are not completely sealed all the way around. So what it means is, is there's two sections uh, on the tire that are called uh, beads. And so basically you can, you can open the tire flat. So there's no, there's no complete uh, loop for air to be contained. But those two beads go into something on the rim called the clincher hook area. So they hook in. The way that they are pushed into those hook areas is with a tube. So a clincher tire, generally, historically, used to use a tube. And so an inner tube is a like a, a butyl or sometimes they're made of latex, goes on the rim first and then the tire goes over top. And as you inflate the inner tube, it... Um, pushes against the tire and then and seals it on the rim with a clincher. So the clincher basically holds it, clincher hook holds the clincher bead in place on the tire. Um, today there are, you know, other types of clinchers, i.e. tubeless, which means there's no tube in there. And so what you do is you seal the entire rim cavity uh, with something called tubeless tape. You inject some sealant in there and then that holds the air. You don't need the tube but that technology is still a clincher tire. It's just a tubeless clincher tire. Tubeless is often uh, mis, um, misconstrued with tubular. So you don't want to confuse the two. They're all often used interchangeably, um, but they're very, very different things. So tubular, which was another type of tire that was used back in the day, 
is a tire and it's it's a solid casing. So it's basically almost like a tube and a tire in one. Uh, it takes air and but it's basically just like a, a round a round chunk. So there's no hooks, there's nothing to basically attach it to the rim. And so what people do is they glue them to the rim. So the rim is a very simple shape. It's just like a U-notch. There's no clencher hooks in there to hold anything in place. And you glue them on. Uh, we have never made a tubular tire. They were very popular years and years ago. The technology of tubular tires allowed them to be a lot faster. But over the last couple of decades, clencher type tires, especially in the tubeless realm and, and even non-tubeless non, uh, clinchers, have made so many advancements that they are just as fast, probably if not faster in most situations than a tubular. And gluing tires on and the cost and the expense and just the pain of dealing with it really makes little to no sense to use today. So most companies have dropped tubular and they are now uh, solely focusing on clincher type um, tires for both tubes and tubeless. So there you go. Clincher, tubeless, and tubular. Okay, uh, let's talk about different measurements on a wheel. So a lot of times you'll see a wheel and it is a certain, the carbon fiber is like taller or shorter. So that's something, so basically taller meaning where the tire connects and then down to where the spokes connect. That is called your um, rim depth. So if you hear somebody talking about the depth of a wheel, so let's say you have a, you know, like our Flow 64 AS is 64.7 millimeters deep. So if you measure from the top where the tire connects all the way down to the spokes, 64.7 millimeters. If you look at rim width, that would be the widest point on the rim. So... It's not like at the brake track, it's not anywhere else. It's just what is the widest point on the rim. Flow 64S, again, that would be 28.3 millimeters. That's at the widest section. There's also brake track width. So brake track width really could, shouldn't be confused with uh, rim width because most of our wheels, they get a little bit wider after the brake track, which means that for a lot of the wheels as well, the brake track is actually angled. It's not, it's not if you look at both sides if you were to look at them in a cross section they're not parallel they're they're at an angle to each other so old rims that were made of aluminum like our original stuff most of those had you know parallel um, brick tracks so in that case you would just kind of measure it anywhere and that would give you your rim width today because the most brick tracks if you're using you know a, a rim brake wheel not a, a disc brake wheel the because it's angled, what you do is you go to the midpoint of the brake track. So halfway between the top and halfway between the bottom, and you measure there. So our brake track width on our, our brake track wheels on the new Flow All Sport line are 28 millimeters in width. Rim brake wheels don't have a brake track. So you don't really measure that. You're not really concerned with that at all. Um, you also have something that is called internal rim width. So internal rim width means the area where your tire connects, there are basically on the insides of where the brake track would be if it was a brake track wheel. There, if you were to take uh, calipers and measure the distance between the two hooks on the rim, that would be your internal rim width. That is something that has become very popular in the last few years. 
Uh, we have definitely noticed that, and that's part of the, all the all sport line. Uh, it's been designed to have an extremely in, wide internal rim width that helps lower your rolling resistance. So, if you're getting new wheels, make sure that you're looking at internal rim width. It is uh, it is definitely important. Other things about uh, terms you'll hear about a wheel. Um, some people may you may hear somebody say the rim bed. The rim bed of a wheel is basically between the brake tracks where your tire goes. And if you were to touch the bottom, like if you put your finger in between, the the round piece that you look at where the spokes holes would be, that's called the rim bed. The spoke bed is basically opposite of that. So where your spokes connect, that's considered your spoke bed. Um, the rim bed can also be called the channel. It's another name for it. Uh, yes. Inside you'll also see on tubeless ready rims, you may see bumps or humps that they're called bead humps. And what those are is they generally have a low section in the middle of the rim bed. And then as you move towards the where the hook is, the hook area where the tire goes, it'll raise up and you may even have a, a, a bump that goes up and then over to where the, the tire, um, the clincher bead of the tire would go. That bead hump helps seal tubeless tires. So if you're getting wheels and you want to use tubeless, uh, make sure they have bead humps is, uh, is definitely a good thing to look at. Um, let's see what else can we talk about? Oh, tubeless ready. Tubeless ready is a good one. There are a lot of people who will say a wheel is like tubeless compatible, tubeless ready, or, you know, there's a number of different things. I talked to Stans in a, in a podcast we did before, and the term from them, and they're kind of the creators of tubeless, is a wheel is tubeless ready. And what does that mean? That means that a tubeless ready wheel can be converted to tubeless. Some people have said that a tubeless ready wheel means that there are no spoke holes on the inside, so you can just basically put a tire on and seal it and it works. That's not the definition from Stans. Most wheels, there's very few that don't have spoke holes and they're very difficult to build or service, so most people don't use those. But uh, a tubeless ready wheel means that if you put on like a conversion kit, which is tubeless rim tape, tubeless valve, and all that sort of stuff, you are going to get um, a wheel that is tubeless ready, that you can run tubeless. Lacing patterns. Uh, lacing patterns are basically the way that you lace your spokes. So most front wheels that are rim brake have something that's called a radial lacing pattern. So if you look at where the spoke connects at the hub, and then you look at it where it connects at the rim, if you were to follow that spoke all the way up, it does not cross another spoke. So that's called a radial lacing pattern. If you have any type of crossing that happens on a rim, so or of two spokes, when you leave the hub and go to the towards the rim, a lot of times you may see that one spoke crosses another spoke or other spokes twice. So you'll see that that would be called what we call a two cross lacing pattern. You can get three cross, you can get four cross. I've never seen one cross. I don't even know if that's a thing. But generally, um, for rear wheels and for all disc brake wheels, you will have a two cross build. So all of our um, flow, all sport line that are rim brake, the rear wheels have a 
two cross build on both the drive side and non-drive side. Let's talk about that. That's another good one. Drive side of a wheel is where the cassette goes. So that would be like the right side of the wheel. Non-drive side, meaning that the chain isn't driving the wheel, is on the left side. So there's no cassette over there. That still translates up to the front wheel, especially when you start looking at disc brakes because they're built differently because of the dishing. Um, but yes, so that would be uh, the drive side and non-drive side. So what we do is we build um, with a two-cross build for the rear wheels on the rim brake stuff on both drive and non-drive side, and we think that helps balance the wheel. When we go to disc brake, we use a two-cross build on both the front and rear wheel on both drive and non-drive side. The reason for that is because when you are braking with a disc, you are stopping the wheel at the hub. So that means that the tire, the outside portion, will continue to move. So if you grab really quickly, you get flexing in, in, in the spokes. When you have a rim brake wheel, you grab it at the, at the rim, so the hub doesn't keep moving. So you basically stop it up there. So you don't need the structure um, in the spokes like you do when you have a disc brake wheel. The reason you use a two cross in the back is because that's where all the power is applied to the wheel. And so you don't want, again, it's at the hub. So you don't want the flow, uh, the spokes flexing uh, a ton. Um, another thing are the free hub types that you get on wheels. So most bikes um, that have been made in the last decade use either a Shimano group set or a SRAM group set. And the cassettes that you use, which is basically the, the cluster of gears, they have a key fitting. And the key fitting for Shimano and SRAM for those bikes is the same. Now, about eight years ago, uh, 11 speed sort of became the standard. So that means there's 11 gears. Um, 10 speed is also a thing. Nine speed, eight speed, even seven speed um, on uh, certain bikes. But a, an 11 speed free hub will accept a 10 speed, nine speed, or eight speed cassette with what's called a spacer. It's, we call it a 10 speed spacer because most people don't use um, eight or nine speed cassettes anymore but that spacing 1.85 millimeters is the same so if you put that in behind one of your 8 9 or 10 speed cassettes it works on an 11 speed free hub um, another type of free hub is campy and campy is a basically you know very similar it's just a, it's like uh, you know a different manufacturer of of, of a group set uh, campagnolo is the is the name a lot of people call it campy for short they have a different key fitting, so you would replace your free hub if you wanted to do that. And we have that when you're checking out, you can select the different free hub option. Recently, SRAM has come out with a new standard, something called, uh, used to be called XD, now they've moved to XDR. Basically, the same thing as like uh, going from 10 speed to 11 speed. It went from 11 speed to 12 speed. That spacer is the same. So if you are looking at a bike and you have either XD or XDR, the best free hub for you to get is going to be XDR. Because even if you have an XD cassette, you can just put a spacer on behind it. So same thing as 10 speed. So that gives you future proofing your, your wheels. If you get a bike with XDR, then you can put that on as well. But XDR is, is a, it doesn't really have a key fitting. It's a threaded fitting. So you thread it on as opposed to um, putting on the cassette in, in uh, with a key pattern. The One of the cool things about XDR is that it's a solid cluster, 
so it doesn't fall apart. When you take a cassette off, that's like Shimano Ceram with the key fitting. There's like a bunch of pieces, and sometimes they can be a pain to put together, but uh, they all work. They're generally the same once they're on there. It's just different attachment styles, but you can pick XDR, Campy, Shimano Ceram, off rehubs with um, any of our wheels. When you start looking at brakes, um, there's rim brake, which we've talked about a little bit, is basically you're braking at the rim. That's where you have the standard brake pads. And then you also have disc brake. Disc brake you'll hear are two different types. There's either center lock or six bolt. And so what that means is basically the way that the rotor, which is like the metal piece where the the um, caliper and the brake pads uh, close on to stop the wheel, it's how it's attached to the actual hub itself. Six bolt uses six bolts, and then center lock has another keyed fitting. They were kind of rivaling each other until recently, and you know now center lock is kind of taking over. We used to have six bolt wheels, but we've um, since done away with those, and everything we ship now is center lock for any type of disc brake. Mounting options is basically how you would mount the wheel to the bike. Now, this is complex. There's a ton of different options, and I'm going to kind of walk through them um, uh, one by one. So first, if you look at rim brake, the standard for that forever has been something called quick release. It's called a quick release skewer. It's like nine millimeters. You have end caps um, that accept this, this basically rod or skewer that goes through. It's nine millimeters, and then there's springs on the inside, and as you tighten it, you, you uh, close the lever down and it basically squeezes it and compresses it into your frame. Now, the frame itself has notches in it. So those notches um, allow you to put the skewer into the frame. And so you're not having to th- uh, thread anything or push anything through the frame. It just basically slides into the frame. With those in place... Um, like I say, the, the compression is what holds it onto the frame. On front wheels, the spacing has always been 100 millimeters. So from basically where the, the fork is on one side, inside to the inside of the other one was 100 millimeters. On the rear, it has been 130 millimeters. More recently, there's been some advancements called through axle, which is a 12 millimeter axle that is instead of being compressed on the frame and and going into a notch in the frame, like a U-notch where you slide it in, you actually have round holes that are the size you know, of the axle. And on one side of the frame, you have a thread. So you place the wheel in the frame, and then you put this the through axle through the frame, through the hub to where the threads are, and then you thread it and then you also have a lever that you you tighten it down with. So it's actually threaded into the frame. A lot of the through axle stuff started when disc brakes started because there were some, there's a lot of forces with disc brakes. And so there were uh, quick release skewers that were braking, especially in mountain biking. And it's a much safer, more sturdier design for a disc brake wheel. So 12 mil through axle has sort of become the standard for any type of disc brake um, bikes. On front wheels, there was a 15 millimeter axle standard that was going on for a while. It still does exist on some mountain bikes. Um, gravel bikes were using it for a while. Most of those have moved down to a 12 mil and like I say, road bikes as well. So if you are getting anything from us in our all sport uh, disc brake line, 
you can still get uh, quick release end caps. So there are still some bikes that, that did take quick release for the disc brake stuff. So we have that as an option. We have 12 mil end caps for both front and rear, and then we have a 15 mil end cap for the front wheel. So those are all different ways that the, they can be attached to the bike. Um, rim tape. So rim tape, rim strips are all things that basically prevent a tube or sealant or air entering inside the rim cavity. So if you ever have installed a, a tube and a tire and you didn't put a rim strip on, when you inflate the tube, it goes into the spoke holes and basically pops the tube. Rim strips were basically pieces of like plastic or cloth that were put over those holes so that when you inflated the tire, then what happened was it, the tube didn't go into the spoke holes. And so it just allowed a, a seal for the tube to basically inflate and not, and not get popped. When tubeless came out, the, the um, rim strips or rim tape turned into something called tubeless rim tape, which is a, basically like a, it's a polymer. It's like a stretchy kind of sticky tape that creates a tight seal. So air doesn't get in or out. So, you cannot use a rim tape or rim strip that's not tubeless compatible with tubeless. You can only use it with tubes, but you can use tubeless tape with tubeless tires and, and sealant or tubes. So now for uh, most of our all sport or all of our all sport and gravel wheels, we only ship the tubeless tape. So even if you're using a tube, you can still use that stuff and, uh, and it works very well. Mounting tires is another question we get a lot. A lot of people say, hey, you know, these tires are really difficult to mount. And for the most part, that is due to the fact that people um, are not familiar with setting up tubeless tires uh, and, and on a tubeless ready rim. So traditionally, when wheels were not tubeless ready, there was, they didn't need to create a very tight seal or as tight of a seal uh, where the tire and the rim meet. And so when you put a tire on, there was there was more room from a diameter perspective for the tire to kind of move around. So installing a tire was was pretty simple. You generally would use levers, but you really didn't have to to get away with much or have to use much for strength because they, they just kind of slid on really easily. Another reason tires can go on easily is because you have a cheaper tire, and if you have a cheaper tire, they don't have the same tolerances. But when you start moving out to tubeless ready and you know high quality tires. You have a rim that has a, like you say, there's bead humps in there. There's a raised section. And so that diameter gets larger out towards where the hook area is. A lot of times when somebody puts on a tight tire, they put it on the first half over the rim. Um, what happens is they get part of that tire up on that raised section. And when they're trying to put the rest of the tire on, the diameter is too large and it doesn't go on. So one thing for us for tubeless, what I like to do when, especially when I'm setting up tubeless because it is really tight, is I put the entire um, tire over the rim. So I have the basically the bead section kind of over top of the whole rim. So a lot of times when you put a tire on, you put one side on and you can use a lever. And then as you try to put the other side on, um, sometimes people will put it on from the from the inside. And it's really difficult to use a lever that way. So I put everything on over the top. I put one side on 
and then I make sure that that uh, bead is pushed right into the center of the rim where it's the low section. And then as you're working the second half of the tire on, you keep making sure that goes into the low section of the rim. You reduce your diameter. And most tires I can put on by hand. Every once in a while I need a lever, but uh, once I use a lever, it is very simple to get on. Valve length is another thing that people ask about. So valves are either if it's tube or tube, a, a, a tube, you have a valve and generally a valve extender or a tubeless valve is, you know, again, you would still need that certain length. So most tubes are anywhere between 42 to 80 millimeters. So when you get a deeper wheel, like our Flow 90 or Flow 77, um, you need some type of extension. So a, uh, a valve extender is something that you can use. There's two different types. There are removable core, which are the best ones. Basically, you remove the core of the tube. You put that core on the end of the, of the um, valve, and then you thread that in. So you have one solid piece, and you have access to close that valve core at the top of the, of the valve extender. If you have an over-the-top extender, you do not take the core out and you basically put it over the top like a, a pipe over top, but you don't really have great access to that valve when you leave it open all the time, so those are definitely not our favorite. Tubeless valves are just one solid piece. They go in, they create a seal at the rim with like a rubber stop, and then you have a threaded nut on the, um, on the, valve, on the valve itself, so you basically thread that down on the spoke bed, and so you create that... Um, you basically squeeze the the rubber end into the rim because you're threading it down to hold it in place. So that allows for that. Um, all of our wheels are deep generally. So unless it's the disc, you need a 42 mil valve for that. All of our 49 mil products use a 60 mil. So basically the rule of thumb is whatever the, the depth of your wheel, so the rim depth, you add 15 millimeters. So the 49 goes out to about... Uh, 60, 65. So we use a 65 mil extender for that. I think I just said 60, so no, it's 65. The 64 uh, uses an 80, and then the 77 uses a 90. Our older uh, 90 uses a 110, because that was actually just under 95 millimeters. So that's uh, that's valve length. And then another question we get a lot is regarding tire size. And we've talked a lot about that in some other podcasts about um, selecting tires and around rolling resistance and things like that. But Sometimes people want to know, do we stagger tires, meaning the tire on the front is smaller than the tire on the rear? And the answer to that quickly is no. And the reason for that is because when you look at a tire, you look at it as a whole whole thing. So you look at it with its rolling resistance, and you look at its um, aerodynamics, and you look at its durability. So in all the tire work that we've done, we've realized that a certain tire size at a pressure, you know, including the aerodynamics and the rolling resistance is the fastest. So, you know, is it true that some tires are more aerodynamic when they're smaller? This is the reason most people ask the staggering question is because they believe that, you know, the wheel up front gets more aerodynamic benefit. But the truth is when we, when we look at a tire, we look at those two things combined and we always add both the aerodynamics and the rolling resistance. So even though it may be more aero, you are losing more um, from a, a rolling resistance perspective. So it does not make sense to stagger. So yes, the wind interaction is different on the front than it is on the rear, but we recommend using the same size tire on um, both in the front and rear to maximize your speed.
So that sums up uh, a ton of questions that we commonly get. If you guys have any more, we do have another episode that's going to be coming out soon, which is a customer question uh, episode. And I've had so many questions that I'm actually going to make it its own episode. So if you have more, uh, please reach out. You can email me directly, john at flowcycling.com. I'm happy to answer your emails um, or anything if you just want to talk about wheels in general. But I'll also get those questions answered on the upcoming Customer Question Podcast. So thanks for tuning in. We hope to uh, be back here soon. And uh, everybody ride safe. Take care. Thanks for listening to Faster. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Leave a review or teach a friend what you learned today. For more great episodes on getting faster, subscribe to this podcast. While you're on your next ride, be kind to one another and ride safe. Bye.